Amy Hall, and you're listening to the Hashtag STRask podcast with Greg Kokel. Famous Amos. <laughs> Hi, Greg. Hey. Okay, so this first question comes from Ellie. How is claiming to be a different gender from claiming... Oh, how is claiming to be a different gender different from claiming to be a blonde if you dye your brunette hair? How do you explain how it's okay to have plastic surgery to alter your appearance but wrong to have surgery to alter your gender slash sex. Well, I, I guess part of my response is there is an obvious difference between having your hair color changed and removing your breasts or your penis and your testicles. And... I, I presume this was a challenge that was given to her by somebody else, my suspicion is. And I've noticed with a series of challenges kind of on these kinds of issues that the people who make the challenge have have abandoned all common sense about these issues. You know, there was a, there was a, a challenge that uh, Tim Barnett took on... Um, Red Pen Logic about, well, if women can't have abortions, then maybe men should be forced to have vasectomies because that's both are violations of the body. And, and Tim just made the obvious uh, distinction that this isn't parallel because abortion is meant to kill a child and uh, vasectomies are keeping people from giving life to children. Why isn't that distinction obvious to people who raise the challenge. And so I feel we're facing something similar here, that when you have, um, well, what, what about getting a suntan, for goodness sake? You go out and lay in the sun to get darker skin color. Okay, where there you're changing your body. Well, that's different from amputating your arm. And if people can't see the distinction, the the substantive distinction that has moral ramifications, then it's, I don't know what one is going to be able to say to that person to persuade them. Um, I'm struggling right now because I'm doing a book called Street Smarts and engaging these kinds of challenges with questions. So it's an extension of the, um, of the, the tactics approach, and it'll be available sometime next year, mid-year, next year. Um, but, but, um, the struggle that I'm having is there is a difference between giving a sound, gracious response to a challenge and having that response persuade somebody. <laughs> and I never want anyone to think that they can pick up any of my books or anybody else's apologetics book and that have good responses and good answers to challenges and think that these are silver bullets that all you need to do is give this response and people will go, oh, Really? Oh, I get it. Okay, I'm on your side on that issue. Now, that's going to happen sometimes when you have a genuinely um, inquisitive person who is who really wants to know the Christian view on something and will be willing to consider it. But I think that the culture, by and large, now the individuals that are representing these kinds of challenges, especially with gender, etc., they are so vigorously socialized by the culture um, and uh, and so 
the verse in the end of Romans 1 applies so thoroughly. Not only do they do these things, but give hearty approval to those who do them. This is such a powerful thing that is is um, appealing to individuals' self-interest. I want to be this way, or I don't want your rules applying to anybody. Certainly not me, but anybody else. And so, therefore, since they're deeply committed to that, there's almost nothing anybody's going to be able to say that's going to uh, make a difference as long as their commitment is to themselves or to their ideology, which applies to others but may not apply to them. So, that is, maybe they don't want to have a gender change, but they are bugged when when anybody is saying that it's wrong to that someone else changes their gender. It's all part of the whole package that people are buying into. It's all the progressive thing. We have moved beyond all of those conventional things. We have bought into a whole different worldview. All of your conventional things, we want nothing to do with them, and we want to poke you in the eye every time they come up. Okay, So this is all a predicate for my response. A big part of my response I've already given it's obvious that there's a difference between coloring your hair or getting modest cosmetic surgery or even breast augmentation, which is a type of uh, cosmetic surgery. These are meant to facilitate and affirm the natural self, you know. So it, that breast augmentation is different from removing the breast because you don't want to appear to be a woman. You want to appear to be a man. And then you take hormones that allow you to grow a beard and deepen your voice or all these secondary male characteristics. Um, it, it, and so this is one of those things where if it's not really obvious to somebody what's going on here, that this distinction between hair color or even certain types of plastic surgery and a sex change operation, then it's hard. I, I don't know what I can tell people that's going to be persuasive if it's not already obvious. There it is. Are you telling me you don't see a, a distinction? This person wants to cut off his arms and legs because his self-perception is uh, that he's a quadriplegic. And by the way, there are these kinds of people. All right. Um, that's his self-perception. So, that's not right. Oh, well, people dye their hair. They get their hair cut. Um, excuse me? You don't see a difference between amputation and cutting your hair? No. Okay, well, I, I got nothing else to say. So, to some degree, there is an abandonment of common sense. Um, if I want to give a little principled content to answering the objection, uh, substantive content for those for whom this is not obvious, I already just mentioned that in one case you are augmenting or supplementing something that is already part of the established sexuality or gender, however you want to characterize it, of that person there. You are not trying to obliterate that. All right? You're not trying to change. See, sex is part of one's nature, okay? Women are females by nature. It's not just their physical body. Their whole self are female. And this is why sex change operations are not possible. You can't change your sex because it's not just somehow attached to you and you just change the attachment. I'm going to get a new set of tires, you know. These tires are for off-road, you know, because that's what I do now. I do off-road stuff, so I'm changing the tires. You can't change the tires. 
on a human body for a different kind of activity. It's inherent to the human being, their sex slash gender. Biblically, they're the same. All males are referred to as he's, and all females as she's. You know, the pronouns apply to the, to the sex. Now, it, there, it's certainly sex. One's sexuality, gender, is much deeper than just body parts. Of course, you can't say that if you're not a dualist, if you don't believe there's a soul or human nature, you know. Um, so maybe, but, but, but still they, are, they, are, they include that. This is why the question Matt Walsh asks, what is a woman? You feel like a woman in a man's body. What is a woman that you feel like one but don't have the body of a woman? And, and it's very difficult for people to respond to this because it's clear that a woman is a physical body with kind of sentiments that bet or go along or are unified um, or consistent with that body. Um, and so uh, these things biblically in God's creation, the nature of reality, all of the, you can, you can do the biblical side of things, or you can do the just nature if you want. Just look at the world and you can see how reality is structured. We can explain why reality is structured that way, has purpose, and it's a good purpose. But you don't need a Bible in order to know this. Okay? So, um, um, I gave I gave some maybe you have more to add probably do much better than what I've offered but part of me wants to say um excuse me but no duh right you can't see this this is not a hard issue but it is difficult in conversation because those who raise a challenge like this have lost their ability to. Uh, to have these issues informed by common sense because they've been so deeply and profoundly socialized by the world, and part of them wants to cooperate with that. That's the whole progressive thing. We're progressing past all these conventional things. We're making our own reality. You do you. And that's a big part of what's going on here. I think also, Greg, you touched on the idea that our self is gendered. And I I think these I, I think the people who would argue this way, I think they get that. I think their problem is that they do think the body is merely cosmetic. They don't think the body has anything to say to inform them about their sex. Mm -hmm. So I think that could be playing some role in this confusion that they think the body is not speaking any truth about who they are. So I, I think that's a big problem here. But you, you've explained the difference here, Greg. I will also say that changing your hair color actually does change your hair color. Your hair color, if you dye your hair, oh, your hair is a different color, right? Yeah. But removing body parts doesn't change your sex. Now, all you have to do is look at a woman who's had breast cancer. She has a mastectomy. Is she now a man? Yeah. No. Because changing your body does not change your sex. It's completely a different thing from any, from most plastic surgeries. Now, there are some people who desire plastic surgeries that do amputate parts or, or mutilate their body parts in some way. And I would say that 
is also wrong. I, I don't think we should be mutilating our bodies. And that is a different thing from shaping your body according to your preference. Mm-hmm. Or say, you know, people who want to do really radical things to their faces to make them look like animals or there's there's all sorts of things people want to do. And as soon as you start either removing healthy body parts or mutilating your body in some way, I think that's where it gets to be a, a problem. It's interesting. This I used to parody using the animal illustration many years ago. I mean, for 20 years, I would raise this issue. But I'd also qualify it to say the problem with using a parody, like if a person thought he was an animal, should we do cosmetic surgery to make them look like the animal they think they are, is that the parody becomes reality. You can't parody these things because the culture is moving so fast towards the ridiculous that they are adopting these things as part of part of the trend. And so just... You know, you heard it here first, okay? Told you so. That's basically what I'm saying here. And so Amy now is reporting current events. People, they're called furries. They have a name. In fact, I heard I, the I don't word, know that these are the people that are were doing the, uh, the cosmetic surgery. Well, it's a broad category of people in uh, the... the um, I first heard the word furries from a high school kid who told me, oh, yeah, we have furries at our high school, you know. Now, so um, I I suspect, I I think this is a fad with a lot of these people. However, there are people who have pursued things like amputations um, because of their self-concept, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, and, and so the the (laughs) – I don't know about the – you know, changing your facial features, you know, stitching chair, hair, uh, fur on your face. I don't know about that. But uh, again, if that's part of the parody at this moment, just wait another few years and it's going to be surfacing mm-hmm. actually in the world somewhere uh, by people who and, and the rest of the culture is going to go, yay, yay, look at how you do you, you know, and then I can do me. So ultimately, there are boundaries to things we can change and not change in our bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. So uh, let's go on to a question from Jonathan Marks. Actually, there are two questions here, and I think they're related. So I'm going to read both of them, um, and you can kind of take them together. The first one's from Jonathan Marks, and he says, I've been noticing an increasing lack of civility in political discussions, even among Christians, and an increasing hostility to the idea of being winsome, as if that's associated with being susceptible to unbiblical ideas. Can a tactical approach still be viable in such a non-civil culture? And then uh, Timothy Turner says, concerning a recent evangelical debate, has the time for winsome Christianity passed? Is it now time for a more direct Hard edge approach. Well, there's a article that um, I read, and it was a, about the Southern Baptist Convention and their adapt adapting to things and uh, adjusting, and they're actually responding in this article to another larger piece that I actually need to read this fall after I'm done with my manuscript. But it, it raises the same question. You know, there was a time when a uh, you know a winsome approach was effective, and they used as an example um, Tim Keller, okay? So here's this winsome, um, warm, engaging, intellectual um, 
speaking to a cosmopolitan crowd, oh, that works. But now everything's gotten nastier, okay? And um, so maybe we ought to step up and, 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 you know, go with the flow in some sense. I, I, I cannot believe, I do not believe that matching the, the mood or temperament, the hostile temperament of the other side is going to be persuasive. I'm just thinking here pragmatically. How is that going to make our job better? How are we going to be more effective? Okay, you yell at me, I'm going to yell at you. And when I yell at you as much as you yell at me, then you'll change your mind. You'll go, oh, no. What happens is they yell louder. A harsh word stirs up anger, but a gentle answer turns away wrath. So how long ago was that written? 3,000 years ago? And it's still true. Um, uh, that's just on the pragmatic side. But, but we have another issue, and that is virtue. We have a responsibility to be winsome and attractive. It doesn't mean we can't be... Um, I'm trying to think of the right way to characterize this. It, we, can, we can be a velvet-covered brick. This is a, there was a book by this title a number of years ago. We can be strong and hard, and I describe Jesus this way in the story of reality. You know, he wasn't like meek and mild the way we think of that. Meekness, that, the way that word means is, is strength under control. But uh, he, he, he was hard and, and direct and firm and aggressive and unyielding. Um, and we can be that as well. But, but that doesn't mean we have to then adopt the hostile, the hostile mannerisms of the other side. Mm-hmm. You know, we are ambassadors for Christ is the way Paul puts it. So standard reason is always emphasized a kind of genial diplomacy. That's why I don't like the word evangelism, because in most people's minds that sounds confrontational. And when I offer, when I give the tactics talk, the alternative approach, a, a, a different mindset of genial diplomacy of a, a diplomat or an ambassador, uh, this has a totally different feel to it. And it actually helps people feel more relaxed. I think there are some people that are so aggressive that are Christians that they this is the only way they know how to do it, and it's satisfying for them to get into, uh, you know, verbal fights. But Paul says, Lord's bondservant is not to be quarrelsome, but patient when wronged. If God might grant them repentance, and they will come to their senses, having escaped, uh, having been held captive— by Satan to do his will. That's in 2 Timothy. By the way, the last book that Paul wrote. 2 Timothy, the last part of that chapter. Chapter 2, I should say, of 2 Timothy. See, so we have biblical injunctions about this. But I, I, to be honoring to God, I think we have to continue to pursue um, engagements with uh, manifesting these kinds of characteristics. However, and, but there's, there's also a practical element. One, it's easier to do that in a way. It's, some people are, are just not quick on their feet, right? They're not clever. They can't go, okay, take that, you know, kind of deal. Uh, some are, but that's a liability because then we 
make these conversations, whether semi-private conversations or public interactions, into gladiator events. And and our engagements are, if you will, witnessing the demonstration of our life, bearing witness and testimony, um, is not to be a gladiator event. Who can draw the most blood quickest? You know, that's the way the world is going. But even if it wasn't more effective to be gracious, we would still have a responsibility to do that. I, I, I don't. I don't get this. It's this goes back to um, a faithfulness. So this value that Stand to Reason has, and it's printed out. It's on our website somewhere. It's faithfulness over results. We don't figure out bottom line results. What is going to get us? Re- okay, let's be really nasty. That'll get us better results. Well, that's not going to. But that is the temptation. They're being nasty, so we're going to. The bottom line is our integrity in the way we communicate. And if we communicate with integrity, and God do, God chooses not to bless that, that's up to Him. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, we're not getting enough people at our church, so we should have some, uh, you know, s- some crazy thing. Get more people come in. No, that isn't the. Our goal is to communicate a certain message in a certain way. And when we do that in an honorable way to God, our job is done. If people don't listen, then they don't listen. If we're doing things properly, then that's on their side of the ledger and God's side of the ledger. I don't know. I'm kind of beating the same horse here. but Greg, your last point is exactly where I was going to start, and that is that this is not all about what works. So even if it worked to attack people and to treat them without the human dignity that they that we owe them, um, even if that were the case, we still should not do it because we have been called to a certain thing. And I and Second Peter, I mean not Second Peter, First Peter is the book to go to for this because he says over and over that no matter how you are treated, if you're treated unfairly, if you are hurt because of your righteousness or your position or for following Christ, you have to still do what God has called you mm-hmm. to do because mm-hmm. It's better to suffer at the hands of men than to suffer at the hands of God. Mm-hmm. And also, we are representing him. That is our job. And our job is not to convince other people. That's not our main job. Our main job is to convince or is to show people the excellencies of God, which is what Peter says in First Peter. So as we are, are talking to people, as again, Peter says, we are to respond to them the way Jesus responded to the people who hated him. Mm-hmm. That is how we are supposed to respond, no matter how people treat us. And we're supposed to keep in mind that God is just. So no matter what happens to you now, and no matter how things go, and no matter whether or not you convince people and you're persuasive, God is just, and in the end, his justice will reign. Mm-hmm. The truth will be known you will have glory with Christ if you have suffering with him now. Mm-hmm. Suffering now, glory with him in the future, mm-hmm. in his resurrection. Mm-hmm. I was reading um, um, Weight of Glory uh, last night and the last couple pages. And and Lewis there says, the, but, but he's talking about the glory, but the cross comes before the crown 
and tomorrow is Monday. <laughs> now, some people may not get the second reference, but he's saying, well, we're in church on Sunday, and all seems, you know, but then you got to get out and walk this out in the world, and that's where you're in. You come out of that protective enclave, and now you're tomorrow's Monday, and that's the cross before the crown, and uh, and the, and our Lord is leading us into the fray, and we are to follow Him, and but there are very clear directives on how to do that. First mm-hmm. Peter three, that famous passage about defending the faith, says with gentleness and revel. Um, Reverence. I mentioned Second Timothy chapter two. The word sponsor is not to be quarrelsome. You mentioned First Peter, uh, other passages. You know, when when we suffer for Christ, we uh, entrust ourselves to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. That's the last verse of chapter four, and then Jesus is used as an example in in, in a number of cases in First Peter, and then we go back to Jesus Himself in Matthew chapter five. When you are persecuted for the sake of righteousness and because of your faith in me, you're blessed, which is the same thing mm-hmm. Peter says, the spirit of grace and glory rests upon you when that happens. Okay, so now I'm going to come at this from the other side because um, I suspect that a lot of the people that who are, who are listening to this right now may err on the side of being too harsh Mm -hmm. because just because we like to get into these discussions and it is hard to resist responding in kind to people. It really is. I I get that. Um, But from the other direction, I would also say that it, the question about winsomeness depends entirely on how you are defining winsome. Mm -hmm. There are certainly some people who define being winsome as not talking about anything controversial. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is not, is not the way to go either. I think what we need to do, and you said this earlier, Greg, is, is to be the velvet brick, to speak the truth clearly, calmly. Don't do it defensively. Don't try and um, you don't have to even be angry as you're doing it, but just make your case clearly and don't. You don't need to hang back. You don't need to be – don't avoid things simply for the the um, the goal of being, quote, winsome. Because now that's the opposite problem of being too harsh is just never saying anything that's controversial mm-hmm. because we're also called to speak the truth. Well, there's this uh, line that I use in talking about ambassadors, one of our first – things that we developed in it. And, and it says, we can't be too naughty. We can't be too nice. And, um, uh, the gospel is offensive enough. Don't add any more offense to it. All right. That's the, that's the naughty part, but too nice. Um, we cannot remove the offense that's inherent to the gospel because then we have no gospel. How do we approach that? As you described, and remember, look at Jesus. Jesus was shrewd, which is what he told us to do, to be shrewd, gentle, but shrewd. And I think that's a good Mm -hmm. way of thinking about the balance. It's really hard. It's a hard line to walk, and we will fall off on one side or the other, and we have to just keep correcting ourselves. Mm -hmm. But one thing that I read a quote, I was reading a book by Hadley Arcus, I think that's how you say his name, uh, Natural Rights and the Right to Choose. Philosopher, moral philosopher. Mm -hmm. And so he wrote this book about abortion. Well, he said in that book something that now I think about all the time. He he said of a politician that, quote, his desire to remain civil 
fed a willingness to keep backing away from an argument. And I thought, oh, I do not that I do not want that to be us. A desire to remain civil should not mean backing away from an argument. Mm-hmm. It should mean you speak with clarity, you give the other person dignity, and if they want to become uncivil, that is on them. Mm-hmm. So these are the all the things we get. This is not an easy thing to right. figure out. It really isn't. And it's something we're all going to have to struggle with, I and, think. And it's also not natural for me. You know, people need to know that. I'm almost 49 years in the Lord, and I'm still working at these things, and God's still working on me in these. Um, it's, a, it's a challenge to be gracious and civil in the midst of weighty concerns that you disagree with people on. I mean, just today, I got an email from somebody who was, I mean, unbelievably rude. And and I was kind of looking at it. And now, pretty much, I just I just put it away. I don't engage. But sometimes, I just go for hours just thinking, I could say this. I could uh-huh. say that. And I, I won't. I'm not going to respond to them. This is why doing these things by writing is a lot easier, because yeah. you can resist the temptation. But there's always this this zinger you can come back with or you can try to hurt them or whatever that's what we have to fight and um i think what uh there gosh i need to write something on this because i think ephesians and first peter right now are the books that we need Mm -hmm. because ephesians talks about how god's grace towards us turns us into loving people and so um and then, you know, First uh, Peter again. It just it it talks about how Jesus's grace towards us <laughs> turns us into people who reflect Jesus. So we just need to be constantly shaping our minds in the gospel because that's the only way we will survive this Renew- as fallen people. <laughs> renewing our minds. Yes. All right. Well, thank you for your questions. If you have a question, send it on Twitter with the hashtag STRask, or you can go through our website. If you just go to the hashtag STRask podcast page on our website, you'll find a link there where you can send us a question. So just keep it short, and we will consider your question. This is Amy Hall and Greg Kokel for Stand to Reason.